What's up, everyone? Post game, locked on Bucks. Uh, Post series, locked on Bucks. Actually, because Milwaukee did uh, take care of business. This game, uh, similarly relaxing if you're a Bucks fan compared to the last two. And it was only a week ago that this series was looking like it was looming as a a bit of an annoying one for the Bucks. Uh, you always thought they were going to pull through, but they cleaned it up in these three games without Chris Middleton. So we'll wrap up this series, talk about what went right. And we will look ahead to the Boston Celtics. This series is going to start Sunday afternoon. Uh, Mike Budenholzer gave an update on Chris Middleton after the game as well. So we'll touch on all that. Let's get started. Max him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on this show Monday to Friday and also weekends post-game during the playoffs. And uh, alongside me, the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. Uh, as I mentioned, the Bucks just wrapped up this series 4-1 against the Chicago Bulls. It was a, uh, let's say, not the highest intensity playoff game of all time tonight. Uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But we do thank you for listening to this post-game pod and making it your first listen of each and every day. I said yesterday, get us across the 3K on YouTube. You guys did that. Officially across 3K subscribers on YouTube. We appreciate everyone there. And also everyone listening on the audio platform, which also, by the way, as it tends to do during the postseason, the numbers have gone through the roof uh, there as well for the playoffs. So we really appreciate it. And uh, the other thing I'll say is get involved in the conversation, particularly on the YouTube comments. Uh, we get some some measured takes some insane takes, uh, some fun takes, and uh, you know, sometimes just some advice for me and Frank as well. So we get a wide range of uh, comments there on YouTube, but it helps us. The more comments we have, the video shows up, all those types of things. So anyway, we appreciate it. But the Bucks won this one easily, Frank. Uh, we are going to eventually look ahead to the Boston Celtics because I, I feel like that all of a sudden is front of mind for all Bucks fans. But what I will say is, and we mentioned this the other night, you win a you win a playoff series. Yes, it it happened the way it happened, and the Bucks dominated the Bulls over the last three games. But you have to celebrate winning a playoff series, Frank. Four one, the Bucks are through to the second round again. And I, I think I saw the stat: is it ten and zero now under Bud uh, in series clinching games, or eight and zero? Eight, anyway, eight and zero. Yep, eight and zero in series clinching games. So, look, but when take... Bud when Bud smells that blood in the water cane, oh, Bud Bud and his teams. They uh, they they sense that they they're they're gonna pounce and they did it again tonight against as you said probably the lowest <laughs> intensity playoff game of yes. of certainly the last few years I don't I we were Pistons. joking that it felt almost like a preseason game yeah. uh, just very bizarre I'm sure the Bulls were thrilled that they had a, a short ride back home they could grab some uh, you know maybe a an ice cream cone at the Lake Forest Oasis McDonald's or something like that. Um, <laughs> Although if I'm Billy Donovan, I'm saying for that effort, no ice cream cones, no ice cream cones at the Lake Forest Oasis McDonald's Bulls. You're gonna have to do that on your own time. But um, look, yeah, look, this game 
I mean, let's be real. And by the way, it reminded me of the Detroit Pistons series a few years ago. Uh, now, the only difference to that, and if we remember back to that series, the Bucks hadn't won a playoff series forever, and they kind of just obliterated the Pistons. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this isn't ex- as exciting as what I thought it was going to be because they won every game by about 30 points. And we are at the point with this team that has bigger fish to fry. They want to win a championship that is kind of just a step on the road. And it does feel like now the playoffs start uh, with this Celtic series. But there was a number of reasons why uh, you do walk away feeling pretty good. And the defense was one of these. And look, poor old DeMar DeRozan. He didn't score his first points in this game until halfway through the second quarter. He finished only 5 for 10 from the field and 11 points. And I think the stat, and I, I believe you tweeted it, but I think the stat that uh, just really points out that the Bucks, after a couple of games here, nailed down how they wanted to defend, the shots they wanted to give up. The Bulls, 52 three-point attempts in this game, which is a franchise record for regular season, postseason, any game they've ever played. It's a franchise record. They've never shot this many threes. And remember coming into this series that the the reason why we thought, well, this will be an interesting kind of back and forth here is because the Bulls don't shoot threes. So they came into this game. They haven't been able to do anything in the paint. They've been dominated defensively. DeMar DeRozan's been shut down. And the Bucs literally said, you are not going to beat us with DeMar DeRozan tonight. We are going to put two or three guys on him. And if you want to keep on shooting these open threes, you can do so because we don't believe that you're going to be able to knock them down. And they were right. They were not able to knock them down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, tonight was just... I mean, it's interesting. I was just looking at the numbers coming into this game. Um, Coming into game for the series, the Bucks were allowing under a corner threes, even though they gave up 19 in the last one, right? There was a stat about the Bulls shot five out of 19 on corner threes in the last game. Might have been a similar number tonight. We'll have to double check what, what those numbers ended up looking like. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it felt like the Bucks were just basically completely galvanized by the last couple games in the sense of just having no fear about kind of carrying through on that strategy of sending those extra bodies at DeMar DeRozan and basically just, you know, saying, we don't think you're, these other dudes are going to be able to make shots. And, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, they 15 out of 52, so uh, under 30% yet again. Um, and I mean, you know, you look at DeRozan, he has that monster game too. And I mean, ironically, he's really bad in game one. He has the monster game too. You know, and he said, oh, well, I'm not going to shoot that that poorly again. But in two of the, the following three games, right, last game, he, he I think it was eight out of 20. But in the other the other games, right, games three and five, he goes four out of nine and five out of 10. Tonight, five out of 10, 11 points, yeah. seven assists, right? So, I mean, you know, obviously he was trying to make the right plays, but you know, 10 shots attempted and only two free throws in 43 minutes. I mean, that's just you know, to just totally kind of wiping him off the ledger. And obviously tonight, Zach Levine and protocols made it even harder uh, on the Bulls, certainly offensively, uh, than it otherwise, you know, would be just lacking, you know, the firepower, which, you know, honestly, it hasn't really mattered who's been available all series. They just have not had, not had enough weapons, right, to, uh, to really scare the, the Bucks. And it's been a, uh, it's been an interesting series. Again, you know, as we kind of start to take a peek ahead, I don't know that this series was all that good from a preparation standpoint mm-hmm. uh, for Boston. Um, I think, you know, the Bucks disappointing in the first couple games and losing game two, I think that's probably a good thing 
because at least they really had to lock in and they played very, very well in games two and three or sorry, games three and four. And I thought their defense was very good in games three and four. I think tonight they pretty much just, you know, went to the extreme of like, ah, we we're just going to be totally, you know, over, over the top and how we're defending the middle and DeRozan and, and just giving up, you know, these open threes. Um, but you know, the irony, I, I looked it up. I was, I was like 52 threes. Like how have they given up that many before? And, you know, they've given up, obviously we know the Bucks give up a lot of threes, but they've given up 48 or more threes, 11 times this season. And they've won 10 of them, which, you know, you think about it, like you, you always think, Oh, the Bucks are vulnerable, vulnerable to three point shooting. So Ooh, when teams take a bunch of threes, that that could be bad, right? Because that could be one on the nights when they're making a lot of threes and the Bucks are giving up all these open threes. But, you know, remarkably, this team, as they have really been throughout the Bud era, they're a team that can, you know, fight through that. And obviously, probably the, the, the bigger underlying story here is that when teams are shooting that many threes, it's because they're not getting anything at the rim. They're not getting to the free throw line. And so they become very one dimensional. And so... I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, giving up 53s a game, a game to the Celtics is the game plan. I don't I don't think they're going to be, you know, nearly as brazen in how they match up with the Celtics and dare them to shoot corner threes just because the Celtics do have better shooters. But um, but obviously this is part of the playoffs, you know, is playing to your opponent, uh, you know, basically exposing their weaknesses, playing to your strengths and you can certainly say the Bucks did that and then some here of these past three games. They absolutely did. And uh, if you were smart enough, uh, maybe after game two, I, I don't know how much the odds changed, but if you were smart enough to get on board at betonline.net, then you'd be feeling very happy right now. Uh, and maybe you're feeling confident to roll it into the next series where the Celtics are actually favorites. The Bucks going in underdogs. The defending champions going in underdogs. No Chris Melton, no home court. We understand that, but... If you want to check out all the lines and odds, you can do that at betonline.net, which is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and MLB, which is underway as well. Are the Brewers winning? I don't even know. I think they're... They won tonight. Ah, shout out to the Brewers. And BetOnline is your continued source for the sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. That's bet online uh, where the game starts. So, as we talk about what the Bucks had success with against the Bulls and what it might look like against the Celtics, because again, let's be honest, we are really turning our attention to this next series. And I've already seen a little bit of it on Twitter. And I certainly tweeted the numbers from Bobby Portis. I mean, I, I think. We've spoken about him a lot. Obviously, he deserves credit. He was able to rebound. I think some of the rebounding stuff when you're playing again with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, yeah, you were able to clean up on the glass a little bit, but he shot the ball well. Uh, he's always productive on the offensive end. But again, what you're going to have against the Celtics, as you pointed to, you've got a bunch of guys that can hit the corner three and they will shoot them, but they also just in general have a bunch more willing and better shooters than the Bulls. So the big lineup in general, uh, to me, is probably not the direction I would be heading as well as Bobby Porter's played in this series. So how do you see uh, that playing out as you look ahead, keeping in mind that Chris Middleton's out? I don't know if Grayson Allen is the guy that you want to put into the starting lineup. Maybe it's a, a Pat Connaughton. and I'm not sure. How do you sort of sit on that? I mean, Bud is an inertia guy, right? 
Um, you know, we saw it last year. Uh, Dante gets hurt. PJ Tucker becomes the guy and has an obvious role in the net series. Does PJ have an obvious role in the Hawks series in the starting five? Not really. Right. That was the question of like, who's PJ Tucker going to guard? Who's it, who is it? It's so essential that he stay in the starting five for, um, from a defensive standpoint. But he can at least play on the perimeter though. I mean, it's not like, even if there wasn't a Kevin Durant. Sure. Sure. Uh, So I, I mean, I think, I think I would be surprised if they made a change to the starting five, to be honest. Um, You know, I think, Bud generally, if something was, has worked, he'll stick with it. And to be honest, I mean, I don't, I don't mind the idea of honestly, of, of going with, uh, with the big lineup against Boston and, I think the main reason is because I think I'm regardless, I'm worried only having really two creators uh, in the starting five with Chris out, you know, Drew and Giannis are the only guys that are really creators with the big lineup. But, you know, even if you put Pat Connaughton in there, you know, it's not like he's like going to run a lot of screen and roll or something like that, or Grayson Allen, they're not going to run a lot of screen and roll. Grayson can do it a little bit. Um, But for the most part, those guys are going to be off the ball spacers as well. So part of me is just like, you know what, like Boston with, with Robert Williams and Al Horford, you know, Tatum and Brown um, are obviously big for their position as well. Marcus Smart plays big for his position. So maybe you just say like, screw it. Like, we're just going to basically try to bring size against your size. And, you know, we know that Boston switches a lot. So, you know, at a minimum, I mean, their, their switches, their, their guys can defend out on the perimeter, but um, in situations where, you know, again, if it's Al Horford matched up against, uh, you know, a Bucks wing or something like that, um, at least you have some size and maybe that's part of the strategy. I think the, the Celtics were like middle of the pack in terms of defensive rebound rate. Last year, we saw the Bucks really lean into size and, you know, that was a, an advantage that they had, you know, winning the offensive glass, controlling the defensive glass. So maybe that's just, again, kind of rolling over that, at least that piece of the strategy that we saw work against Chicago. It can't work in the exact same way, but, um, you know, honestly, at this point, now that you've got, you know, you've had three blowouts in a row and you have a little bit of rhythm, honestly, like, especially with the way game ones are for the bucks, um, you know, I don't trust the bucks to show up with their best in any game one regardless, (laughs) but, um, to do like a lineup change and try to kind of, you know, tweak things and, and go a different direction at this point. Um, I probably would have even less optimism of that working in game one. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, again, I, I wouldn't have predicted Bobby as the, the Chris Middleton replacement, de facto Chris Middleton replacement, you know, when he first got hurt. Um, but I think at this point, you know, it's obviously worked pretty well. And, um, you know, I think we can talk a little bit about matchups, but, uh, I think, you're going to have to defend the Celtics differently. They have, you know, some guys who can actually nail corner three, especially someone like Grant Williams. Um, but uh, I do kind of wonder my pet sort of matchup idea is maybe you put Giannis on Marcus smart, not too dissimilar from what they did putting Giannis on Caruso in games three and four. You basically try to make Marcus smart have to be more of a scorer um, look for a three point shot. You know, he's, he's gotten much better as a decision maker, I think, but he's still just been just what, like a 33% shooter from three the last couple of years. It's not like he's become a great three point shooter. We saw in that game late in the season in Milwaukee, he hit a ton of threes. We know he's capable of getting streaky. 
Um, but maybe you, again, just try to make Marcus Smart more of the scorer. And if he's taking threes rather than, you know, Tatum, Brown, um, other guys hurting you, um, maybe that's part of the plan. And secondly, then if you're running, you know, traditional sort of pick and roll plays, well, Giannis can, you know, you're comfortable with Giannis switching on to any of the Celtics perimeter guys and, and you have some different options you can do there too. So, um, so we'll see what they do. Um, but I think there's some options there. And, you know, if you do put Giannis on a guy like smart, then you have obviously some more natural matchups with Horford and Rob Williams going up against Bobby and, and Brooke Lopez, right? You can put Brooke on Robert Williams since he's not the shooter, keep Brooke closer to the basket. Um, and again, maybe force them to try to do pick and pops with Al Horford to try to get Bobby into actions. Again, different things you can do. Um, but obviously now at least you have a few days for the Bucks to to do some do some work, do some game planning. You know, they've known now for uh, 24 hours, probably longer, right? Effectively, their advanced scouting uh, has known for a few days that who their likely opponent was going to be. Um, and we just saw the Celtics, at least in a some version of the Celtics late in the season. So, um, so I think it'll be an interesting game just to watch from a matchup perspective, but, um, I, I probably, again, would probably just stick with the, the current starting five and again, just sort of see what happens, you know, see if, see if Boston, if that gets really exposed for being too big and lacking ball handling, lacking shot creation may very well, but again, it's not like you have, you know, a super dynamic, you know, creator guy off the bench that, that you could just plug in easily as well. Yeah, I would, and I mentioned this with Camille yesterday, I do think moving forward that I'm more concerned about the offense than I am the defense. I mean, defense, they can probably figure it out. I think it does help that Robert Williams isn't a shooter. I mean, having one guy out there that isn't going to shoot the three, I do think that helps, which will be interesting to see what the Celtics do throughout the series if they um, go to you know smaller lineups. I mean, we've definitely seen Al Horford have success uh, against the Bucks in the past. Uh, he seems to be a better player in Boston than he was anywhere else the last few seasons, for sure. The only other concern is, Frank, and you know this, this is going to be something that is going to annoy Bucks fans. We already know it. Giannis being anywhere in the vicinity of Marcus Smart is going to make me nervous because, uh, look, without Chris Milton already as it is, the Bucks just simply cannot afford uh, any foul trouble for Giannis. I mean, they're not going to be able to survive that. Marcus Smart is going to be on the floor. I saw him doing it with Kevin Durant in the last series as well. He's not going to take much for him to hit the floor. Maybe you could make the case that uh, Giannis had some decent practice with the way the Bulls were trying to uh, defend him as well. And we should say Giannis, and I don't know whether this, I mean, he's always hitting the floor. I messaged our DM during the game and I was just like, man, can Giannis chill? Now, first of all, no, he can't chill. And we know that he can't chill. But the way that he was hitting the floor, the thud when this man was hitting the floor in a game that you're just like, the Bucs aren't going to lose. The last thing we need right now and, and is any type of injury. And he was holding his wrist for a while there. Uh, Bud mentioned it after the game and said that he thinks that he's doing okay, which is not exactly what I want to hear. I would have preferred that he is doing okay. Now it's Giannis, so you expect that he's going to play. Uh, but I imagine this is going to be another physical series. And that whole Marcus Smart-Giannis matchup, uh, yeah, I would suggest it's going to be a, a talking point throughout. Because I would imagine he's going to spend a fair bit of time trying to defend Giannis, get underneath him, go for those charges, drag him to the ground, all those things that we've seen for the for years. Yeah, I mean, I think the only certainty is that lots of different guys are going to defend Giannis. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think they have a lot of guys that are not going to be at least complete pushovers and they're going to bring a ton of help. And, you know, it, 
this is going to be a huge test for Giannis, right? I think I do think that the Bulls, especially early in the series, um, the kind of quick double teaming. I thought they, for large stretches of the of the series, not certainly not tonight. I mean, tonight Giannis just you know little brothered them really badly, and there was just very little, um, very little uh, to to look at positively from the way they defended Giannis. I think missing Caruso as like the you know an additional flopping threat um hurt them a lot tonight um and again just just the lack of size but um but boston certainly has better rim protection than than obviously the bulls do and um i i think you know much like caruso was you know i think caused Giannis problems just by being that guy who would just like you know come in to to throw his body around and and try to you know again get the refs to to feel bad for the small guy we know that marcus smart's (laughs) going to do the same thing Hopefully nobody gets hurt with you know his his kind of sliding under dudes when they're trying to go up for baskets. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see. I mean, looking at the numbers from last series, Smart took eight three pointers per game, shot thirty one percent. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked if it's kind of a similar story um, in this series for for him. Uh, I think certainly the ball is going to be in his hands a lot. And again, you know, he had seven assists, two and a half turnovers per game, and thirty seven minutes per game last series, and. You know, Celtics only played nine guys last series. I mean, that was the irony, right? That's the thing that I just, and I'd be curious to kind of get your take on what to make of that series because it was a bizarre series in that (laughs) they weren't able to blow out the Nets really in any of the games, right? It was 18 points total um, separated the two teams in the entire four-game series, right? Like one of, if not the narrowest margins in in a sweep in NBA playoff history. But they also just, it just seemed like the, the Celtics were better, you know? Like, it just seemed really hard for the Nets to get really good shots. Um, and part of the Nets' MO, obviously, is that they don't need to get good shots because they have KD and Kyrie, who obviously had a lot of struggles in terms of consistency. Um, but it also just felt like, you know, the Nets defensively, like, I mean, every combination <laughs> that they wanted to play had two, sometimes three guys, you know, that were... Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Goran Dragic, like just, or, or Kyrie, right? Just too many little guys that just, you know, and they're switching every time, right? So it was just, you know, the Celtics were just able to like, basically at all times, just pick out like, okay, we want to get Jason Tatum isoed against that guy, right? And they could pretty much get those matchups wherever they wanted. Obviously the Bucks have the benefit of, you know, A, having a lot, you know, much better individual defenders. So there aren't, the same, you know, kind of weak links that that you might other be worried about and that we saw in the Brooklyn series. Um, and also, like, you know, they're not just going to come in and switch everything for, you know, four, five, six, seven games, right? Um, so they might they might have to go to switching at times for sure. Um, I think that will make sense in certain scenarios. Um, but uh, it, it is going to be interesting to watch just the chess match and sort of how each team tries to attack, right? If they end up, you know, continue to start Bobby, how is Boston going to try to attack Bobby Portis, right? If he's guarding Al Horford, probably going to run a bunch of pick and pops, dribble handoffs, you know, force Bobby into those actions. And again, maybe in those scenarios, like I'd be fine if honestly, if you just switch Portis a lot, because it, I think to be honest, like most of the time when Bobby gets taken advantage of it's guys, small guys sort of shooting step back jumpers on him, which, you know, the grand scheme of the universe, I think probably, um, but we'll, we'll definitely be, a fun a fun series to watch the matchups in and um you know i i think 
again, I'm, I'm very curious just to see how, um, how Giannis does. Cause I think he's obviously a, a different kind of animal than, than KD. He doesn't settle for shots in the same way that obviously KD does. The physical tool set is differently is different. Um, but I think in terms of just showing multiple bodies and just crowding them all the time, obviously the Celtics are going to try to do that. And this definitely feels like the kind of series where, especially with Chris Middleton out for part of, if not all of the series, um, the half court, you know, we've seen the Bucks, you know, we saw it in the early stages of this Bulls series. We saw it in the Nets series last year. The Bucks do have these phases where the half court offense just gets bogged down and just ugly. And I'm, I'm definitely concerned that, you know, this becomes um, a rock fight at times in the half court for the Bucks. And so, you know, as always, it's going to be really important to try to do what you can to get out in transition, give Giannis opportunities to attack against a uh, defense that isn't set. Um, you know, again, Bucks aren't really normally a, a turnover forcing team, but you hope maybe you get some more luck sloppiness from the Celtics in that regard. And then as I was alluding to earlier, you know, maybe this is a series where you really need to use the size and, and hurt them on the glass. We'll see. Right. Um, that's obviously not a typical way that that teams in today's day and age, like, you know, tactically really attack, but we've seen the bucks even last year in the playoffs use that, especially against Atlanta as, as a weapon, you know, using their size to their advantage on both ends. So, um, so yeah, I, it's great test for Giannis. He's going to be in the spotlight. Um, you know, this is a bit of a warm up for him. Um, and, uh, it's going to be, I think at a different level defensively on Sunday for him, for sure. Yeah, I was I was going to respond to that, and then you mentioned the word rock fight, and it reminded me of our friends at RockAuto. RockAuto, exactly right. Uh, because we know, and uh, look, if you're uh, driving to Boston, I, I don't think many people will be doing that. But if you are driving to Boston to these games, uh, you want to make sure that your car is in good shape. And if you need anything from uh, parts, uh, accessories, anything. Uh, then uh, you should go to rockauto.com because you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers, uh, and they've been doing it for over 20 years. The prices are reliably low for every customer from uh, normal fellows like myself to the experts, the mechanics out there in the world. And uh, they've got everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. You can go check out uh, the website today and go through the easy-to-use catalog to find everything you need. And you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. So right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? Today, now we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. I do think uh, when, when it comes to the Celtics and part of this is some of the stuff I'm reading, you know, from Bucks fans, whether it is on YouTube, listeners of this show and Twitter, I do think that everyone's been a little bit slow to come on board with the fact that the Celtics are really, really good. And, and I was also the same because if you go back to the turn of the new year, it's like, okay, this, this team is legitimately middle of the pack mediocre. And, They've just steadily gotten better. And it wasn't until late in the regular season when I started paying attention. I was like, actually, this team is really, really damn good. So that's the first point I want to make. But the Nets series, I agree with you. It's hard to really take anything from it. Um, I I was in a conversation with someone about this at, at work the other day because they were like, oh, my God, I, the, the Celtics defense against Brooklyn has just been absolutely spectacular. And And kind of to your point, I was like, well, 
I think it has. But also, we're not seeing... I mean, it, it's Kevin Durant or nothing. And, and it's still the same story with the Brooklyn Nets. And they're like, yeah, but he was averaging 50 points a game or whatever he was against the Bucs last year. And I said, that's true. But I think overall as a team, I think we were, we were talking about it. We were like, how can the Bucs score? How can they make a shot? How can they do anything on the offensive end? So I think like walking away from that series, it's hard to read how much of this was the Nets being pathetic and how much of this was the Celtics being a juggernaut. And, and the answer is I, I don't really know. But to me, that's why I still just think for the Bucs, without Chris Milton, they don't have a guy that can that can bail you out. And even tonight, I was kind of watching the Bulls game and I was already looking ahead and thinking about the Celtics. And I was like, all right, some of this is like, you know, the Bobby Portis, he'll face you up. He'll take it. Like, it's a fine shot, but it's like, okay, you, this can't be your offense. Drew Holiday, when he goes into sort of dribble, dribble, takes a step back. Like, yes, we'll see him knock it down, but I don't think that's what your offense wants to be. So to me, as you mentioned, Boston Celtics, one of the teams, and we'll see whether they do switch a lot, but one of the teams has switched as, as much as any team in the league. It's like, okay, if that's going to be the case, then how are the Bucs going to score easy points in this series? So I, I didn't, they're going to have to shoot the three well. That's yeah. for damn sure. And and I, I'm again, I'm more worried about the offense than not. Now, as far as the schedule goes, we mentioned, again, for me, a 3 a.m. Monday morning game. And when it comes to the Bucs and the way they play in game ones, it's setting myself up for a depressing start to the week. But uh, they'll have then game two on, on the road, obviously. And then three days off, which is completely unheard of. Three days off before game three. Uh, Bud already confirmed post-game that Chris Milton's not going to be there for the start of the series. Um, and, you know, maybe, uh, re- realistically, if you look ahead, a three-week timetable from the initial injury would be game six. So still very very late in the piece if he was at that three-week timetable. And then obviously the four-week timetable, which I think is on the on the far end of the scale based on the loose stuff that we know. Uh, that would obviously be in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's still not certain that he's going to return at all. Uh, but the fact that there's a bit of a gap between these games, at least, is something. It gives some hope. And I would argue that the fact that the Bucks don't have home court in this series <laughs> potentially helps them. They start series slow. You're waiting for a star to get back on the floor. The Bucks get better the series go- the longer the series goes. That's been what they've done the last two seasons. So maybe not having home court is the ideal scenario. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it before the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the the uh, glass half full approach would say, especially if you think you may That's get Chris me. Milton back at some point <laughs> in the series. Um, you know, again, it, it it's kind of the, the 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 glass half empty would say, well man, without Middleton, you really need home court advantage, right? I think that's the most logical sort of conclusion, right? That you need every uh, everything in your favor that you possibly can, just given the fact that you're not, you know, you're missing, you know, you're kind of 2A slash 2B guy in, in Chris Middleton. Um, I think knowing this team though, right? And, and the way that we've seen them start series slowly, pretty much every series, um, it does. I think you can talk yourself into it a little bit that it's almost like you wouldn't want to burn the first two home games um, in a weakened state if you think you might be getting that uh, potential, you know, injection of life later in the series. And and again, I mean, what, we don't know when Chris Middleton is coming back, and we don't know what he's going to be like at that point, right? Because I mean, it's not like he's he's coming off a knee injury, so that's not exactly like the ideal type of injury to have to recover from, and then be thrown into high level playoff basketball. Right. Um, so 
it's hard, but yeah, I, I do think there's definitely that glass half full interpretation where you could say, well, you know, we've seen them when they've started out on the road. Um, you know, you almost, it's not like you want to, it's not like you're punting the first two games, but you know, if they win that first game, it would feel like, yeah, a miracle practically, <laughs> you know, down Chris Middleton, long layoff, right. Which we know that the longer the layoff they have, the worse they seem to play. I mean, the Celtics have an even longer layoff, right? So you hope that the Celtics will also be rusty. Um, it's all set up for an 85, 82 thriller. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's set up for another rock fight. Um, so I, you know, I might look at it this way. Like if you, if you can actually win one of those first two games, I mean, that would be a, a great result. I think everybody should be happy with that. And, you know, again, that's what makes the Brooklyn series so odd because I mean, the Nets as poorly as, as KD played up until really the last game and as poorly as Kyrie played outside of the first game, you know, they had chances to steal pretty much all of them. And the first game in particular, right? I mean, they literally yeah. lost on a buzzer beater. So, um, you know, who knows possibly how that series shakes out if if it goes differently. Um, and we saw last year, right? I mean, why did the Bucks win an NBA championship? Because all those, you know, all those close games that could have gone either way, they made plays, right? They made more plays late in games on both ends than the Phoenix Suns did, than the Brooklyn Nets did. Um, and, you know, to some extent, obviously, then, then the Hawks did as well. So, um, so I think, you know, it's not... Um, I think if I you know, want to think about like what kind of what what is going to be the difference in this series, I think you hit three point shooting. You know, we often talk about sort of when the Bucks are missing Giannis, you know, how the game just becomes a referendum on three point shooting. I think you can say a similar thing with how good um, Boston's half court defense is and without Chris Middleton as another half court initiator, uh, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Wes Matthews, Bobby, Brooke. Drew, all those guys that shoot threes on this team, you're gonna have to be pretty good. <laughs> you're gonna have to make threes this series. And more importantly, you're gonna have to make, you know, I think just more threes than than the Celtics, right? You just hope that the Celtics have a relatively bad shooting series, you have a relatively good shooting series, and that that, you know, that part of the ledger comes out in your favor because certainly they have um, you know, the defensive tools and and the offensive versatility to to hurt you in other ways. And Especially, I think my biggest concern is really like, you know, if they can, again, not necessarily shut down Giannis, but if they can limit Giannis, right? If Giannis is giving you 25 a game on 50% shooting rather than 30 a game on 55% shooting, I mean, that that matters, right? Uh, especially in a, in a close series. So, um, so I think, yeah, three-point shooting, I think is gonna be really important as, again, to kind of punish the Celtics for, you know, we know they're going to want to build a wall and prevent Giannis from doing what he wants to do. Um, but I think that's also why Brooke and Bobby are going to be important because those guys can be those secondary sort of interior scorers. You know, Brooke being that safety release valve guy as he was in the first two games, right? He had a very quiet sort of rest of the series, but um, being that safety release valve for Giannis and Drew around the basket, right? It's not like you're going to post up Brooke Lopez, but you can get in the ball um, around the basket and he's got great touch and he can, you know, be that improvisational guy um, in kind of, you know, sort of random moments when the defense is otherwise playing well. Bobby obviously also as well with his touch um, can, can certainly hurt a team. You're just going to need both those guys that, I think, you know, give you some, some big performances and you're going to have to win a game in Boston, right? At the end of the day, that's kind of what it comes down to. Um, 
we've seen uh, the last time these teams played in the playoffs, the Bucks won both games in Boston, right? In a five-game series win. Series before that, right? The last series before the Budenholzer era, Bucks won all three games at home. They lost all four on the road, right? And so you're going to have to win a road game. And I think in those first two, the thing I'm looking for is I would I would have I have to think at least one of those games is going to be close and you're going to have a chance to win. Can you take advantage of that opportunity? Bucks won a title by taking advantage of those types of opportunities. The Nets got swept because they could not take advantage of those types of opportunities in four straight games. And you know I think that was one of the knocks even late in the season when the Celtics were playing awesome. I think there was still some skepticism even from Celtics fans. Man, when things get really close, like you know how are they going to come out of that? What are they going to look like? Um, that had been sort of a problem for them earlier in the season. We saw on Christmas Day the Celtics completely collapse in, you know, late in that game. And that was a pretty, you know, Celtics fans were saying that was like, oh man, this is typical, right? At that point of the season, they're in a different place right now. But, um, you know, if you're the Bucks, you're, again, you're going to have to squeak out some, some close, some close wins in the series because, you know, there's no way you're, you're winning three games in a row by basically, you know, 20 plus points like we saw uh, to close out this Bulls series. It's just a, a different level of opponent. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, tomorrow we'll get the Celtics perspective. John Corrales from Locked On Celtics. We're going to do a crossover. We've had him a number of times. I've uh, podcasted with John. He does a pretty damn good job over there. And I would imagine he's feeling pretty good about the Celtics mm-hmm. and the way they've been playing over the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see his perspective on some of the things that we spoke about here on this show. So make sure you check that out uh on on friday but then then on the weekend obviously leading up to game one and we'll be back we'll do a post game show of course uh plenty of days off next week i've got some people lined up i'm trying to get on the show i'm not going to name any names right now because it doesn't plan out but we're going to have plenty of shows uh, to roll out next week so we'll see but the bucks are through through to the second round yet again the budenholzer streak continues it's nice that we've normalized you know winning first round series (laughs) right after that's right Practically, you know, twenty years of of feeling like that was the the goal, right? To get to the second round, of being the Bulls, just like, yeah, exactly. You know, being the Bulls is just like, ah, eh, yeah, you know, that's like a thing we do now. Um, definitely, uh, definitely a little full circle here, right? Giannis, you think Giannis's first playoff series against the Bulls and losing in such painful fashion at home um, to uh, to meet out some some vigilante justice here uh, seven years later. Um, did not need to mow down Mike Dunleavy into the first row of the, of the stands tonight. Um, although I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, not a very vocal Bulls contingent tonight. And honestly, not a very vocal Bucks, con- <laughs> Bucks crowd tonight either. It seemed in the third quarter, people were, I think, pretty much in the concourse. Most of the quarter, you could have mowed somebody into the first row. And I don't think anybody would have spilled a beer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh appreciate the fact that this is now just a thing that we get to enjoy, right? That the Bucks can lose a game and then they just come back and stomp out uh, an inferior team. And, and that's just kind of a, uh, you know, a day at the office for the Bucks here over the past week. That's right. It was a week ago to the day that we did the post game podcast after game two. And it was a bit like, eh, how long is this series going to go? Is this really going to drag out? Uh, thankfully it didn't. And they were able to wrap it up. And it was much more like what we thought potentially it might be before the season. So Bucks in five. We'll take that. And uh, now we'll see what they do against the Boston Celtics. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll wrap it up now. For Frank and myself, catch you guys tomorrow.